Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Originally, small town. Not small. A couple hundred thousand people. Northeast Indiana. Austin Hatch had the kind of childhood that most of us dream about. Had an incredible life growing up. You know, my mom, Julie, was an incredible mother. She was a full-time mom. Not that anybody's not, but that was her... You know, she stayed home and helped with us kids and stuff like that. And my dad was a doctor, had his own practice, his own clinic, and did well. And my older sister, Lindsay, she was a ballerina. And then my little brother, Ian, was a great guy. Had such a bright future ahead of him, too. Austin's dad was also a pilot, and he flew a small plane. And on September 1st, 2003, on their way to the family lake house in Michigan, the airplane crashed. It took the lives of his mom, Julie, his sister, Lindsay, and his little brother, Ian. Austin and his dad were the only survivors. You know, incomprehensible loss. That's really the only word that I can think to use to describe it. It's just incomprehensible. It's, but my dad and I found a way to keep living in the midst of that. And I'm in the midst of the pain and the grief and the sorrow and sadness. His survival was a statistical miracle. But then, in 2011... Just days after he had signed to play basketball at the University of Michigan, Austin was in a second plane crash. This crash claimed the lives of his dad, Steve, and his stepmom, Kim. That crash left Austin in a coma for eight weeks with a traumatic brain injury. But in spite of all he had to overcome, including learning to walk and talk again, Austin found his way back to the basketball court and even scored a point for the U of M team. Today on the show, we talk about grief, grit, and thriving in the face of adversity with motivational speaker and living miracle, Austin Hatch. I'm Kimmy Culp, and this is All the Wiser, a show about hope on the other side of pain. Stephen and Julie Hatch had one of those love stories that seems too perfect to be true. He was a high school football hero turned doctor, and she, a cheerleader and homecoming queen with a heart of gold. Together, they had three kids, and they spent their time as suburban parents working and shuttling kids from activity to activity. Friends described their relationship as simply extraordinary and a perfect compliment. I think the best way to learn how to treat a woman is how you see your dad treat your mom. Like, to me, I mean, I had the best example ever, you know, of how to be a loving, supportive husband, how to work hard, provide for your family, but be a present dad. You know, he, he was really busy at work, but when, when dad was home, he was home. He was fully engaged in our family and fully present. So that's, a, you know, one thing that I'm definitely taking along with me, and I have that with me now to this day, and... I'm just so grateful for the time that I had with them, with both of them. 
And what was your mom like as a mother? What do you remember about her being your mom and mothering you and your brother and sister? She was amazing and so loving and supportive and always like, you know, our house was the place to be. You know, I had friends over all the time. We would always play dates at our house. And my mom was the kind of woman who was every, all the other moms out there, she was their best friend. She was that kind of a lady. Everybody wanted to be around Julie Hatch. Sounds like she was really special, mom mm-hmm. and wife and friend. Yeah, for sure. As you just shared, you had this really beautiful and idyllic childhood. And there's two days that would change the course of your life significantly. And the first one was when you were eight. Will you just explain for listeners who are learning about you and your story for the first time what happened that day in September? Yeah, so we were um, we were flying home from northern Michigan to our home in Fortin, Indiana. And um, tragically, as we were preparing to land, the airplane crashed and claimed the lives of my mom, Julie. She was 38 at the time. Uh, my sister, Lindsay was 11, about to turn 12 a week later, and my little brother Ian was only five. And did your dad throw you from the plane or your dad saved you? Is that right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, the plane caught on fire, you know, as it crashed, and um, yeah, he threw me out of the plane to save my life and went back into the flames to get my mom and sister and brother. Um, He almost burned alive himself, you know, trying to rescue them. And can you explain to people statistically the odds that this would happen it it really just my jaw dropped when i heard you say those numbers yeah um according to this mit statistician a guy named arnold bennett is his name i believe he calculated that the odds of an individual surviving a plane crash with at least one fatality involved in the crash the odds of that happening is 1 in 3.4 million and the odds of my dad surviving is one in three point four million. So those odds of us both surviving are one in eleven quadrillion five hundred sixty trillion. So very slim, very, very slim, very slim. I'm curious about how your relationship with your dad changed and and what you learned from him about grief and healing and grief and resilience because it's clear. He was just this incredible presence in the wake of your loss and in the wake of his own grief. Yeah, I mean, my dad was my hero. He was incredible and taught me so much, not so much about like by what he told me, but by how he lived himself. He didn't tell me how to do things. He showed me how to do them, by example. And I, I followed his every move and I, I watched him respond and remain strong for me. You know, I'm married now and we have a have a little boy and I can't imagine what it was like for him to go through that loss and lose his high school sweetheart. They'd been together about 25 years at that point, let alone two beautiful children too on top of that. So I can't imagine the loss and now being a dad now myself, it's kind of given me a different perspective and a different appreciation for how much my dad did for me and how he pressed on and led me by example. You know, I know you guys played basketball. It sounds like every night, right? You would go out and play one-on-one with your dad? Yep, yep. Pretty much every night. Yep. 
And, and then I would, we'd go to the gym in the mornings and I'd work out with a trainer before school and he would do his cardio and stuff like that before work. And it was awesome. And I've heard you say that you and your dad, whether it was a spoken or unspoken sort of pact or commitment to one another, that part of your process of grieving or living with a loss was this commitment to honor their lives in the way that you lived yours, which I thought was really so beautiful to live intentionally in a way that honored their values and who they were in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, we didn't really change the way we lived. I mean, we kind of had a a way we lived our life as a family before everything happened. And then after they were gone, it's not like then all of a sudden we started living with gratitude and intentionality and for a greater purpose and like, you know, to honor each other, honor and honor God. And it's not like we all of a sudden started that as soon as they were gone. We'd already been doing that. But I think that, um, yeah, my dad just kind of basically just showed me that, you know, we're just going to, we're going to press on in the midst of this pain and loss. And so it was really a commitment to continue to live and yeah, that for sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 It's, it was, it was a continuation of their legacy, you know, to be frank, I think we create our legacy every single day. Legacy doesn't just start when we die. I think you build your legacy by how you live every single day because, you know, it's not like when you're gone, then all of a sudden people are going to start to think very highly of you and start to really respect you and admire you as a family. The hope would be that people feel that way about you when you're all here. And then if by chance you tragically go on to a better place, it's like, it's how you're remembered, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do. And that's a really well put reminder that legacy is a day-to-day action. You are a very accomplished athlete, and I know that basketball, sports, and really this notion of staying busy is something you talk about as important in the wake of tragedy and loss and trauma. So can you speak to the role that basketball played in the wake of your loss? Yeah, well, I think it's, as you alluded to, it's very important to have other things to focus on. Because if the only thing that's going on in your life is the the tragedy or the loss of loved ones or what have you, your mind will naturally just revert back to that. Because if you don't have anything else, I mean, what else are you going to think about? And this is not to diminish the severity or the significance of losing what I did. But if that's all, all you have in your life to focus on, it's like that's not really productive and that's not really a good way to overcome it and press on in the midst of it. And because I think if you think about it 24 seven, you're going to be discouraged all the time, rightfully so as you should be. But I think it's still very important to have other reasons to get you out of bed in the morning. Well, I think what I'm hearing you say is there's room for both, right? You obviously sure. had yeah. the sadness, the grief, the loss, the anger, you know, the whatever emotions you're going through based on, I imagine, the minute, the hour, the day. 
balanced out with, I'm going to get out of bed, I'm going to move my body, I'm going to sweat and having other things to be in the moment and take, you know, your mind and body in a different place and not just in that space of grief. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, it's healthy to grieve, you know, to some degree, but I think um, only grieving the loss doesn't really honor them in any way. Because it's like, I don't know. Unfortunately, I'll never know the answer to this question. But I feel like, you know, my mom and siblings would still want would have wanted us to keep living to this day. You know, it's not like they'd want us to just sit in a room and feel sorry for ourselves and wallow in the in the pain and the in the loss. It's like the world waits for no one. You know, it's not like everybody else's life is going to slow down to let you grieve. And I mean, I'm not trying to be insensitive. All I'm saying is that life goes on, and it's healthy to grieve. It's healthy to, you know, feel the pain. Cause if you don't feel any pain, I think there's something wrong with that, but yeah, you got to keep living and you got to find reasons to add value to the world and contribute to civilization and find ways you can honor those you unfortunately lost. When I hear you speak, you so clearly honor the entirety of the story, which to experience great loss and heartbreak and grief means that you loved and were loved deeply. It's so clear to me that you don't lose sight of that part of the story and how grateful and lucky you were to have loved and been loved so deeply, which I just think is incredible and of great service to you and, and how you process this all. Yeah, well, thank you. I think that... um. One of the things that I've kind of, you know, found over the several years that it's been since I've experienced the loss and tragedies and stuff is that it's very hard to be grateful and negative at the same time, right? That doesn't mean there's no negative feelings at all, but I'm like, man, if I just focus on how blessed I was to have what I had for as long as I did, but it's like, man, like how blessed was I to have had that to lose, like to have had the amazing life that I did and the amazing family that I did. I'm like, man, you know what? My mom and siblings and dad and like, they all just crammed a lifetime of teaching and memories and stuff like that into, you know, a few short years, you know? Yeah. That's so clear to me when you share your story that it's not just about the crashes and the aftermath, but very much about everything that happened before that. And your dad, after you lost your mom and brother and sister, eventually found love and fell in love again. So can you tell me about that and, and what that meant for you when your dad got married and you had a new family? Yeah, it was... Um you know, my mom, Kimberly, was an incredible woman and um, loved me like I was her own and certainly didn't replace my mom. Um, but, you know, she did her best to honor my mom and fill the role in my life that, you know, my mom would have. You know, she had three kids of her own who we had a great blended family. And um, it was it daughters. She had you had, sisters she had, like- you had two daughters and a son who I'm who I'm. I'm very close with and um yeah just grateful for you know their role in my life and um yeah and i would imagine you're back in a full house and it sounds like she was in this incredible nurturing maternal 
role for you. So that makes sense to me that that had a, just a, a huge impact for you and for your dad. For sure. And you had this dream, as we've talked about, of sports, basketball, huge for you. And you had this dream of going to Michigan and playing basketball, which I imagine required just a relentless pursuit and insane amount of time. But eventually you would get a call from the coach. So what did it mean to you to go to Michigan? And and can you tell me about getting that phone call? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a dream come true. I remember the call clear as day. You know, it was June 15th, 2011, at about 1.45 in the afternoon. Coach Beeline, former coach at Michigan, called to offer me a scholarship and said, you know, the coaching staff in here love love what you have to offer as a player, but more importantly, love the kind of kids you are. We'd love to have you in a, as a part of our program. And, um, you know, I want to offer you a full scholarship to come play for me and the staff at University of Michigan. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a dream come true. I, that's what I'd really worked my whole life for to achieve, you know. So starting when I was about, probably when I was about 10 years old, my dad and I, we, he, he would go to the Y in the mornings before work, and I would go there and work on my, on my game and meet with a trainer to help me with my skills and my ball handling and my shooting and my offense and defense and all that. And, yeah, I'm just, just so grateful that, um, you know, Coach Beeline saw potential in me. I mean, obviously I had to get a lot better to play in the Big Ten Conference at Michigan because, I mean, that's the, the best conference in the country. But, you know, I was, I was only 16 years old. But Coach saw potential in me which is great. And yeah, I'm just so grateful that I was given that opportunity and um, grateful that I worked hard to achieve that because I think learning how to work to achieve goals is very important. You know, I'm all, I'm all for the participation medals and everybody wins. And like to a certain point when you're young, that's fine. But at a certain point, you know, it's got to be more of a meritocracy where only the best win, only the people who are most qualified get the job or get the get the opportunity. So I'm just grateful the coach saw potential in me that I could hopefully help his teams win on the court. And there was a family legacy, a family story to Michigan, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a third generation legacy at Michigan. Both my grandpas went to Michigan. My mom went to Michigan. My wife and I, we just had our first baby, and you know maybe maybe someday he'll he'll <laughs> he'll continue the the Michigan tradition. So. Well, that's a big moment. And, you know, I know basketball was a part of your healing and it's a family story of tradition for Michigan. So yep, that's a big moment when the coach calls you. Yeah, no, for sure. It was a dream come true. Michigan coach John Beeline said of Austin, he probably grew up as a young man rocked to sleep with the fight song. This is all he'd ever dreamed of. Yet just nine days later, nine days after that life-changing call a second plane crash and more devastating loss for Austin. We'll be right back. All the Wiser is a one-for-one podcast. For every story you hear, we donate $2,000 to our guest's favorite charity. Today's episode supports a charity near and dear to Austin's heart, Aaron's House for Grieving Children. Aaron's House provides support for children, teens, and families who have experienced the death of a loved one. You can find out more or even make your own contribution to this wonderful work on their website, aaronshouse.org. 
We're back, and Austin has just been offered a spot to play basketball for his dream school, the University of Michigan. His family decided to celebrate with a trip to the family vacation home on Walloon Lake in Michigan. They took off in the early evening. Yeah, so the um, as we were preparing to land, the airplane stalled due to inadequate airspeed. Yeah, unfortunately crashed and claimed the lives of my dad, Steve. Uh, he was 46 at the time, about to turn 47. A few months later, and then my mom, Kim, was... She was 44, you know, terrible loss, but, um, and I was almost killed myself. My injuries put me in a coma for about two months. Was two months the first time you woke up and realized that they had died in the crash? Yeah, I, I didn't really know. Because I, I woke up in the hospital in Chicago, and um, I knew something had happened, because I was like, I'm, you know, I was in a hospital, and I was in a wheelchair, and I couldn't walk. So I knew it was a it was a tough situation, but yeah, just uh, just grateful for the amazing medical care that I received throughout my journey. And my goal was to make the the greatest comeback from a a level seven traumatic brain injury that's ever been made by anyone. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Doesn't matter. You know, that was my goal. My dad always said, "Oss, whatever you do, man, go big or go home. Don't waste your time going halfway." That's how I approached school. That's how I approached sports. That's how I approached relationships. It's how I approach my recovery. It's how I approach my time in Michigan, my life now, my marriage, my business, my fatherhood thing. I'm going to do everything I can to go big, go big every day. And the traumatic brain injury, you know, I, I know you had to learn how to walk and talk again physically. What were the injuries you sustained in the accident? So uh, in addition to the traumatic brain injury, fractured both collarbones, five broken ribs. My hip bone was fractured. I had a hematoma in my leg, which I think is like like internal bleeding kind of. So I think I broke about maybe 15 bones. And then um, the traumatic brain injury was the worst of them though. So, so, so TBIs, traumatic brain injuries are, are measured on, on a scale of one to seven, seven being the worst. And levels one, two, and three have a, have a pretty good chance of, you know, returning to normal life, regaining your independence, things like that. Levels four, five, six, and seven have decreasingly smaller chances. And my TBI, the doctors who took care of me said that my TBI was the worst level seven they had ever seen that came out of a coma. So I'm very blessed to be alive, right? I shouldn't be here. I really shouldn't. Just looking at the sheer odds of surviving the plane crashes and so when I when I think about all that, it's hard to be hard to be negative and get too caught up in the loss. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. The brain injury. What are the long term implications for you if there are? I would imagine it's something that that you're still dealing with. Yeah, I mean, not not really, not really any long term. I mean, like I I was a really good student before the the second plane accident. I was going to mean, my goal was to play four years at Michigan, go to medical school, be a doctor and practice with my dad. That was my, that was the plan. Obviously wasn't able to do that, but I couldn't do the, you know, the organic chemistry and the, in, in the, the calc four stuff, all the, like all the stuff you need for medical school. But I mean, I'm the, as far as long-term impacts I think the biggest thing I can't run as fast, I can't jump as high, but that doesn't have any impact on me. Like day to day, I, I have no impacts on my life day to day. And, and that's a miracle yeah. <laughs> within itself. Surviving is one thing, but your recovery is is yet another. 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like I said, you know, my goal was to make the greatest comeback that's ever been made. And I probably didn't, but, you know, that was what I was shooting for. You know, I was just trying to be the best I could be. And at Michigan, I couldn't play, but I I could be a great teammate and I could be a star in my role. So there's only one, you know, team captain, but all the people on the team, whether you're a starter, whether you come off the bench, whether you never play a minute the whole season, every person on the team matters. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine the the role you played just as a living example of hard work, <laughs> big dreams, achieving those dreams, resilience, grit. I mean, you exemplify and live out so much of that, which is really a huge example and I would imagine guideposts for people. So it's clear the first accident that, you know, when you think about what got you through it, your dad was just massive and helping you. The second accident without your dad, what do you attribute to helping you get through process, heal from that really, really difficult is an understatement time? Yeah, well, I was, I had such an incredible support system for my extended family, my relatives, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends of mine in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I'm from, friends who became like family. I'm just so grateful for how everybody in my life has stepped up in the midst of that. They did what they could to support me and kind of how with my mom, Kim, how she knew she would never replace my mom, Julie, but she just stepped up and loved me as best she could. I feel like that's what everybody else in my life has done throughout the journey. And obviously I'm kind of, I mean, I'm on my own life now and with my own family, but on the, on the really tough days on the recovery, I mean, I had people there for me, you know? And yeah. Cause it, that would, there's no way that's possible Yeah, on your no own. Way. Yeah. Don't try to do it on your own. Like let other people help you. And, I, and now look, I get not everybody in there has as many loving, supportive people in their life as I did. But I'm like, most everybody has at least one or two people that want to help them overcome their challenges, whatever the challenges may be. Let them help you, you know? Don't try to do it alone. Like the tough guy in us sometimes, oh, you know, I got this. Don't worry. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a man. I can do this on my own. But like, if people are really volunteering their time and their effort to support you and help you overcome your challenges, you'd be stupid to not let them. You know, I want to get, as you said, you found your way on the court at Michigan and spoiler alert, it, you fell in love and had a baby. And I want to get to that chapter, but we were actually brought together today by my son, Sutton. He is a freshman at Loyola, an incredible high school here in downtown LA where you went during this time after the second accident. And I think I told you, so now they play your story for the entire freshman class when they come in. So I found about you, Austin. I picked up five boys and drove them across the city and they had just learned about your story and we're having, you know, these conversations about everything they had learned from you, which is really incredible. And then, 
you know, my son said, mom, you should call him and, and have him on the podcast. So go Cubs. And what role did Loyola play in your, in your life at that time? So after the second accident, I lived in Fort Wayne for a couple of years um, with my sister Maria and got my recovery started out there in Fort Wayne and, you know, did all my extensive and intense physical therapy and rehab and cognitive therapy and stuff like that. And then kind of graduated, so to speak, from that intense rehab and then moved out to California to live with my aunt and uncle in Pasadena and went to Loyola High School for one year before Michigan. And um, I'm just so grateful for Loyola, grateful for the people there, how they, the role they played in my, you know, my recovery and helping me get ready for Michigan. And yeah, you know, I had a great year out there and um, really nice weather. <laughs> you know, I'm from the Midwest and so it's cold in the winter here, but you know, nice to play golf year round out there. So that was a lot of fun. And it's a special for- place. It's it's more than just a high school. It's a community. It's uh, yep. it's yep. it's Loyola. It's a- what do they say? They create men for others, right? Yeah, it's an incredible brotherhood and community. And I can see where that environment at that time would have been of real value. So now to Abby. <laughs> You fell in love, and I will share with the audience that Abby, your wife, and now the mother of your son, had actually heard about your story after the second crash due to the connection to Michigan, and she was really touched and heartbroken and kept thinking of you and asked, you know, I believe her family and friends to pray for this kid, this young man, Austin, and had no idea she was praying and asking for people to pray for her future husband. So hearing that, my eyes welled up because it's just really beautiful. But tell me about falling in love with Abby. Yeah, she's an incredible person, an incredible human being, incredible wife, incredible mother, incredible daughter, incredible sister, incredible granddaughter, niece. She's amazing in every single way. Everything that I ever dreamed that I could find in a wife, she is. And I'm just like, to repeat this line for the seventh or eighth time, maybe, I'm just so grateful to be her husband, so grateful that she fell in love with me and I fell in love with her. Well, I fell in love with her first, I think. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, yeah, she's amazing. And our son Hudson is so lucky to have her as his mom. And she's a star athlete herself. I believe she was... Um, yeah. Yeah, she was a three-time all- all-American volleyball player at Michigan. And I and I wish we could have done this interview in person. A, I love would have loved to meet you in person, but also I am 5'1 and you and Abby are very different heights than me. How <laughs> tall are you, Austin? I'm 6'6, six, six, Abby is 6'5. So our son Hudson, the doctors told us yeah, we predict very likely so he, he wasn't born that big. I mean, he was he was 10 pounds, 11 ounces, 22 inches. So pretty good size. They, the doctors predict, yeah, we think 6'9 six, six, or 6'10 is their prediction. Well, he's going to be deeply loved and I'm forecasting a bright future ahead. Has yeah. having Hudson changed the way you think about your parents? You know, I, I would imagine in particular your dad and his loss, but I know it's been two weeks, but it's a emotional time for anybody that 
first chapter, early, early chapter of parenthood. So has it made you think in new ways? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's given me a new appreciation for how my parents loved me and raised me. It's given me a, a new perspective on life and on business and on you know how I do things and the kind of standard that we're going to hold our family to. Um, what an incredible opportunity that God has given us to lead this guy to, you know, I've got three things that I think are, are going to kind of be, and and obviously I'm sure that my perspective will change over, over time too. But if we raise our kids as a family, if we honor God, if we respect everyone, and if we always do our best to leave things better than we found them, if we do those three things, it's like, I feel like we're going to, like, what more can you ask of your kids than honor God by working hard and treating people the right way and always being respectful of everyone, your peers, your your mom, your siblings, your friends. And especially for me, I'm like, as a guy, I mean, obviously Hudson's two weeks old, but I think in long term, you know, 22, 25 years from now when he is getting married someday, you know, I just want to make sure he, because I feel like young kids, like, only so much you can teach them, like by telling them when they're young, but they will follow your example all day long, you know, and I just want to honor Abby, love her and care for her and the rest of our family, you know, just the way that, you know, Hudson will see and notice, you know what I mean? And it's so if true. If you leave things better than we found them, right? Whether that's your schoolwork, your community, your, your job, your sports team, whatever it is, if you make a positive impact on everywhere you go, you're going to you're going to win in life, you know? So on this podcast, we have talked to people, dozens and dozens, almost 100 people, most of whom have been through unthinkable things, you know, including Edith Eager, who's a Holocaust survivor. And well, first of all, I want you to listen to that interview because you guys have, you know, for you in your 20s and Dr. Edie at 94, a lot of the same advice and wisdom about how you show up in the world and how you think about difficult things and experiences. So it was fascinating in researching you, how her lessons, I kept seeing this crossover. But another thing has come up about this notion of being defined by your worst days. And I imagine there's two sides that you have this story that you can take out into the world to be of service and to teach others through your experience, your immensely difficult experience. But there's also a piece of being defined by these two horrible days and crashes that, you know, I would imagine there's conflict there because you don't always want to be Austin Hatch who survives, you know, and, and, so how do you reconcile living with that identity? And then I would imagine a desire to separate from that identity at times, especially because now it's your career. Yeah, well, I think it's not so much what you want to be defined by. I mean, obviously, you know, choosing to live in a way that makes other people define you in other ways is very important. But I'm like, if you live your life in service of other people, and find ways to add value, find ways to contribute, that will be a um, a small part of who you are. Like, obviously, I do this for a living now. It's part of, I mean, my story, anybody's personal story is a big part of their life. But 
I want to be defined by what's happened after the story. What happened to me is what it is. And, but my hope is that, you know, when people think of me, hear, hear my name, the first thing they think about is not the fact that I was in two plane crashes. And, that, and that's not that I don't want people to realize what I lost and, I don't, and not that I don't want them to think about my family and stuff. It's just that I want to be defined much more so by how I responded to it. You know, it's a daily challenge to live up to, to create your own reputation, to, to build your own personal brand. The first part of my brand is not Austin Hatch survived two plane crashes. That's not my hope, at least. My, my, my personal brand is my hope is, is Austin Hatch has devoted his life to adding value to other people, to other organizations, to now, I, I do share my story, so that's obviously a big part of my job. It's part of my life, as I said, but the story alone doesn't help people. It doesn't help anybody, but it's how you respond to your particular story, particular challenges. That's where you can help people. And if we focus on serving, if we focus on adding value, if we focus on how we can help other people, I mean, I feel like that's a great way to create a, a legacy for ourselves. And now you are speaking and sharing your story in packed rooms around the country. But I found out based on the charity that you're supporting today as part of this podcast and project is where your career actually began. Yeah. So um, there's an organization in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I'm from called Aaron's House for Grieving Children. And it's a place that kids and families can go that lose parents and lose you know siblings tragically when they're young. It helps them, you know, not overcome the grief, but it helps them cope with it. And I'm like, what better thing to support than that for me? I didn't go to Aaron's house because I had my dad. My dad was like my hero, my best friend, my everything. And so my dad helped me through it. And I extended the rest of my extended family and friends. But for those that don't have that, which is a lot of people, yeah, Aaron's house supports them, helps them grieve, helps them cope with the loss and... You know, it's just such an honor. I'm so grateful for your your guys' contribution to that organization, and because they do it, they do great work and help a lot of people. So, you have lost a lot of people that you love, and in the wedding video that is on YouTube, Abby wrapped up your dad's watch for your wedding day, and that you gave her your mom's wedding ring and a necklace that she wore around her neck, the diamond that she wore, which was just so sentimental and incredible. But I'm curious, how do they show up for you in the world, your mom and dad and and siblings? Are there ways in which they show up and are speaking to you or present to you? I'm curious if you have any experiences like that. Yeah, I think every day in how I love my wife, the, the kind of husband I am to her, and now how I am a dad to our, our son Hudson and how I will be for the, you know many years to come. And yeah, it's every day. The standard that they set for our family, the standard that we lived up to, did our best to live up to every single day is kind of a similar standard to how you know we're going to do our best to raise our family. You know, Obviously, they aren't here in person, but they're still with me every single day. Think about them every single day, you know, multiple times. And um, yeah, I just feel grateful for the opportunity to honor them and make them proud every single day. Because I do believe that when the good Lord calls me home, 
I do believe I'll see them again someday. And I hope, you know, whenever that day comes, hopefully it's 70 years from now. And my wife have a lot of kids and grandkids and, you know, but my hope is that they, um, I don't know how heaven works, but that, you know, that they can just kind of say basically, you know, proud of you, Austin. You did, did a great job, man. Loved, loved the life you lived and can't wait to meet the rest of your family someday. Well, I love ending on that note. Thank you, Austin, for making the time and for sharing your story with me and with everyone who listens. Yes, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. Enjoy the conversation and best wishes to you and your family. Okay, thanks, Austin. Thank you. Take care. All the Wiser is produced by Erica Gerard at Podkit Productions. Our composer and sound designer is John LaSala, and our associate producer is Tara Daigle. Well, my friends, that is a wrap for this season of All the Wiser. But don't forget to tune in next week to A Little Wiser. I will end the year with my friend and positive psychology coach, Christy Peterson, sharing our thoughts and takeaways on Austin stories and our holiday wish for you this year. We will be back with new full episodes of All the Wiser starting on January 11th. And until then, take care of yourself and one another. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.